everyone. Welcome to another episode of Borderline Podcast from Borderline Panels. I'm your host, Austin, here, and I've got Sully with me. Yay, I'm back. For once. Maybe I for good. I know. It's been a it's been a hot minute since Sully's been on the show, but I'm really um really glad that you were able to do this episode and I'm super excited for our topic today. So thanks for being here, Sully. You're welcome. Or rather, um thank you for allowing me to be here because we're recording from your apartment this time. My home is kind of like the the hub for borderline sometimes. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to have because it's a good uh Good centralized location in the void. Um, but uh, today we're going to be talking about a particular movie uh, from 1985, uh, the original Vampire Hunter D film. Um, but before that, uh, a couple things I want to go over. Um, Borderline has a convention coming up pretty soon that most of us are doing panels at. Um, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but want to make sure to mention it you know, more often as it approaches uh, it's going to be Asheville Anime Regional Convention at the end of the month, the last Saturday of July. It is July 29th. Yeah, that one. And um, I'm going to be doing two panels. Sully's going to be doing one. Um, and um, some other of our members are going to be doing other panels as well. Uh, a couple new panels, a um, couple old panels, so it should be a good fun time. New friends, old friends. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what panel you're doing, Sully? Oh, I am doing Six Same Faces, Introduction to Osumatsukun, and uh, this is my revised version, mm -hmm. so um, I've actually added a ton more information and material and a lot of even kind of rare videos that I'm excited to show, so... Mm -hmm. Didn't you didn't you do this at a con previously? Was it Ichiban? Yes, I the first time I did this panel was at Ichiban 2017. Mm -hmm. Well, 16, 17. It's fun having a con over New Year's. Yeah, I never I can never remember what to call it. <laughs> I think it was Ichiban nine, and I hate mm -hmm. when cons put a number on it because then I can never keep up. Right, because this is not year nine, <laughs> at least not as far as the year of our Lord nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm, I haven't seen that panel because I wasn't able to go to Ichiban this year because Tori and I were in Disney World. Disney. Exactly. Good old Disney. Um, speaking of Disney, oh, um, I'll get into that in a second, but um, my panels that I'm doing, I'm doing um, 10 anime films that you might ha that you probably have heard of but never actually watched. It's some sort of long title like that because I like absurdly long titles that are very specific. Um, and I'm doing my Gynax panel as well, um, which is mostly the same. I've got a few little updates that I've added in um, as sort of... Gynax News is a very slow drip because they do so few things that are actually worth talking about. Um, but I'm going to switch around a couple of things, add in a couple of new things, and talk about some recent news from them, mostly regarding... Um, Uru in Blue, which has gotten an update, sort of. The Basically, the update for that is that it's still happening, question mark. Um, and talking a little bit about FLCL Seasons 2 and 3, which I'm super excited for. Do you do you like FLCL, Sully? Fully Cooley? Yeah. I, I watched the first episode and I need to finish it. Mm. Um, it was one of those things that I think it was you guys who introduced me to it. Mm -hmm. um, and just everyone was like, oh, it was the best show on Adult Swim and it was never a big hit in Japan. Mm -hmm. So that kind of intrigued me, but I'm not really going to talk about it until I finish it. Yeah, I understand. And uh, it's only six episodes. I have the DVD if you want to borrow it. But I mean, it's one of my favorite shows. I love it. Um, so I'm super excited that, well, initially I was kind of wary that they were going to do more of it because it, 
I mean, it's not like you you don't really watch FLCL for the story. It's more for the visual presentation and the characters, and it wraps itself up pretty well. So initially, I was like, they don't really need another season, much less another twelve episodes, considering it's only a six episode show. Um, but the trailer dropped over uh, Anime Expo, and it just looked astounding. Like I just I saw those um, uh, Sadamoto character designs, heard the Pillows soundtrack, and was immediately like, ah, yes, everything will be right with the world. Uh, so now I can say I'm a little bit excited for that. Um, also, another thing that I'm super excited for um, is uh, D23 happened today, which is basically Disney's version of E3, and they had their big video games conference. And uh, today they mainly went over three major titles, which was uh, Star Wars Battlefront II, um, Insomniac Spider-Man, and Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, which if, if any of you have ever listened to a Borderline podcast, you will probably gather that a lot of us are really big-time uh, Kingdom Hearts fans. Um, you can go back and listen to our coverage of the Kingdom Hearts World Tour Orchestra, which we missed you, Sully. We wish you could have been there. Well, I, I have yet to get into Kingdom Hearts, mm-hmm. but Austin has graciously lent me his PlayStation 3 and his copy of the first game and Chain of Memories. Yeah, it's the, um, just 1.5, so it's it's the first game, Chain of Memories, which is the remastered version of the Game Boy game, and... Um, the remastered cutscenes of 358 Days Over 2, um, which I'm sure to you sounds like a really stupid name. And I, I've would not gotten be to wrong. the point where I, I've heard you guys talk about it enough that I've just accepted that <laughs> Kingdom Hearts can't use just Roman numerals to delineate time. It's always like weird subtitles and 2.5s and fractions right. and Greek letters, but... Um, I'm really excited to, you know, you know, between juggling my professional life, hopefully I'll get some time to sit down and mm-hmm. play Kingdom Hearts because it does have Disney and that's like one of my favorite things in the world because as everyone in Borderline knows, I have a deep, profound obsession with Disney villains <laughs> and if there's a game that has all of them in it, I am down for it. Yeah, and um, it's, it's a treat that um, Pat Carroll herself is, like my- Ursula's in it and she is Ursula, so that's wonderful and every... Uh, Ursula shows up in in the three three games and Chain of Memories, but she's not voiced in Chain of Memories at all. Um, and every single time, it's always been Pat Carroll. So I think you'll appreciate that. I love Pat Carroll. I want to go to D twenty three just because I've heard she's gone there before. <laughs> so that'll be like a holy pilgrimage for me. Yeah, yeah. Because that's my favorite Disney character. Which I feel weird because everyone else is like Ariel or like, I mean I'm talking in Borderline. They're like Ariel or Goofy, and then I'm like I like the octopus, <laughs> and it just it weirdly fits me that this drag queen octopus is my favorite character. The the top three Disney characters of Borderline happen. To be Ariel, Ursula, and Goofy. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't Goofy your favorite? I mean, yeah, but just when you say it like that, it sounds so funny. But I mean, you're probably not wrong. Goofy is the bay. I mean, you, we even had a joke that you should speak to your future children exclusively in the Goofy voice until they come of age, and you should just break their minds with your real voice. Dad, you can talk normally? <laughs> what? And then I'll be like, oh, yuck. <laughs> oh, man. Um,. But um, the highlights of D23, um, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 trailer uh, looked awesome. They talked more about the campaign mode, which I'm excited for. Uh, they were very transparent about being like, yeah, Battlefront 1 was very empty, and we know you guys didn't like that, so we're going to try really hard not to do that again. 
Um, the new campaign looks really awesome. The new story looks cool, and um, I just I have high hopes for that game. I just hope it lives up to it. Um, and I'm a very, very long-time uh, Ratchet & Clank fan, so hearing that Insomniac, one of my personal favorite video game studios, is working on Spider-Man, which is probably my favorite superhero, is just like a match made in heaven. Like, that's an ideal situation. So I'm that Spider-Man game looks incredible. Um, it's going to bring in a lot of things that we've never seen before in Spider-Man in general because it's going to be a completely new story. Uh, with an older Peter Parker that's like our age, which is pretty awesome. So it's going to be like a post-high school Peter Parker, which is a good contrast considering the uh, the new MCU Spider-Man is is uh, Tom Holland, and he's like a high school um, Spider-Man. High school AU. Exactly. So like, you know, having both of these new Spider-Man interpretations going on at the same time is going to be really good for diversity, I think. And then the Kingdom Hearts trailer today was just incredible. They confirmed Toy Story, which has been a long speculated uh, world that would show up in Kingdom Hearts for many years. Um, it was originally, Toy Story was going to be featured in Kingdom Hearts 2 as a summon in the form of like Buzz and Woody being summonable characters. Um, but that was cut for who knows why. But uh, it doesn't matter anymore. We're getting um, Toy Story in uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, and they showed a very extended trailer today with lots of gameplay. Um, they showed footage of Sora of uh, Sora piloting like this like giant robot toy, and I'm just like, well, that's one thing I've never thought Kingdom Hearts needed, giant robot fights. But now that it's here, I... Yay. I'm so <laughs> excited to be able to... You got what you didn't even know you wanted. Exactly. It's exactly what I felt like. So, um, yeah, super excited for that. So D23, their video game expo from today was, yeah, it was all right, all right plus, all right HD remix. <laughs> so it was, I was very impressed. Dream drop, drop distance. Exactly. Um, Sully, just give us an update. What have you, have you been watching anything or reading anything lately that you are, you know, super excited about or something that's resonating with you? Um, I've been really busy with, that's one of the reasons I've not been on Borderline for a mm -hmm. while is because I've been busy trying to juggle, like, my job, now jobs, mm -hmm. and, you know, my, you know, real life as an otaku, so, <laughs> you I know, my, my true calling, but, yeah, uh, right now, uh, thanks to you, I've actually really gotten into Urusei Yatsuda. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I am now obsessed with that, and Cutie Honey, mm -hmm. I've been watching the 70s Cutie Honey because you lent me the... Uh, OVA DVD. Yeah, the and, 90s one. And it was, like, okay. Like, I appreciated it, but, like, watching the original, like, I just have a thing for, like, that really funky 70s Japanese feeling of animation, mm -hmm. just the music. And then with Yatsuda, it's just, I... I love anything with aliens or extraterrestrials in, like, a funny or cute way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I watched the first few episodes. I'm like, this is okay. And then the more I watched it, the more I was just like... Like, slowly, the little Oni horns were growing on my head. I was getting just really into it. Mm. And I think because of you now, I have a new boy to add to my, like, collection of best boys. <laughs> with the, the boy from uh, Yatsura? Not, not Ataru, uh -huh. because he's kind of a loser. <laughs> I, like, I, I found it funny because when I first saw the OP, I thought, it's like the brunette Austin. And I'm like, I don't, I, I'm sorry I insulted <laughs> you in that way, because he really is just like... Ugh, but no, I'm talking about uh, Ray, the other Oni boy who was uh, Lum's first mm -hmm. fiance, and even though he's basically mute mm -hmm. and 
kind of silly and stupid himself, for some reason I'm just really endeared to him. Okay. Well, I'm uh, super honored to be able to have gotten you into two series that I have barely watched. <laughs> I know, because I'm like, I'm so glad that you got me into this. And you're yeah. like, I- I've not really seen any of it. So. Yeah. And it I mean, once again submits us, though, as the old men of Borderline. Honestly, like, you, me, and Bill are just like, for some reason really into anime that was not made for us. <laughs> it was made for a, for a different generation. So our friend Andrew in Borderline, mm-hmm. who everyone listening should know, when Hi, he Andrew. Went to J- Hi, Andrew. Mm-hmm. When he went to Japan, he met this this lady who described herself as like a middle-aged Fujoshi who loved Yatterman, and I was like, you must introduce me to this woman. Mm-hmm. I have met my soulmate, and she lives across the world. <laughs> and she's much older than you, but still a kindred spirit, I'm sure. I, t- I mean, I'm basically an old woman. I make Golden Girls references in every episode I'm in, so Easter egg to all the listeners. If I'm here, mm-hmm. look for the joke. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a forced one, so that didn't count. N- I haven't done it yet. Okay, okay. I'm just making sure that that wasn't the one that you were trying to use as your one, because that would be too easy. But, um, yeah, cool. Um, I, I got to sit you down and show you the uh, the Gynax cutie honey, because that's a, that's a completely different beast in of itself. Was that the one that was made in, like, the 2000s? Yeah, it was, like, 2004. Um, and they tried to kind of copy the style of the 70s one. I saw the OP for that one. Yeah, kind of. Um, my familiarity with the 70s one is, is not super great. But um, the general director on the uh, re-Cutie Honey is, is Hideaki Yano. Um, he didn't do the individual episodes. They're more like, they're like three OVA-length specials, like 45 minutes each. So it's not particularly long, and, and a different director worked, worked on each one. Um, Hiroyuki Amaishi did the first one, and it's, it's, it's very much sort of a precursor to his style that he later did in um, Panty and Stocking. Did you watch that show? I did. Okay, did you like it? The I, I like the style. The humor is not to my taste. Yeah, I, I completely feel the same way about it. Tori loves it though. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, if you watch the first episode of Re Cutie Honey, um, it's very much like, oh, this is totally you know, Imaishi just you know playing around with his ideas that he would later um, uh, implement in stuff like Kill a Kill and like Panty and Stocking and uh, Gurren Lagann to a degree with that sort of very over the top, hyper colorized like, you know cool style that he has that I mean that I personally love so the first episode is really cool to me but um I mean I really like that really like bright poppy yeah colorful almost garish look it's just the, the, the humor in Panty and Stocking is a little too like scatological for me in places mm-hmm. and it's just like that's kind of like that's the smart way to put smart way to say it <laughs> yeah that's just, that's how you know the, the intellectuals they say <laughs> it but like I like if you like that humor, that's fine, but, like, mm. for me, that's kind of, like, one of my, like, humor turn-offs. Yeah, I completely understand. I feel the same way. Um, in terms of stuff I've been watching, um, been watching Little Witch Academia, and that's such a delight. Um, I kind of appreciate the fact that they, um, basically are treating the original episode and the movie as sort of, like, pilots i suppose i haven't finished uh, little witch academia because i've just been really really busy lately but um i've been watching some of it slowly and it seems like they're kind of sort of starting at the at the beginning um because the first episode opens up and it's akko's first day of school and like she meets susie and lote and they sort of go through um sort of the beginning of their relationship and everything, where if you watch the other two episodes, you know, they're already established as friends, they're established at this school, 
Um, and the first three episodes sort of retread the same territory that the first original um, special did, but in a like an extended way with a lo- with a lot more character nuance. And um, I appreciate that because I think these characters are are wonderful and they're adorable and they have so much potential to be excellent. So I'm really excited to sit down and finish that show. Um, let's see, what else have I watched lately? Have you read anything interesting? Um, I, oh yeah, that's right. I started reading uh, Monster. Um, the sort of, gosh, I can't remember that guy's name, the uh, the author of Monster, but he's... R.L. Stein. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The great mangaka, R.L. Stein-san. <laughs> but, um, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he's very well known. He did stuff like... Um, uh, Master Keaton and Pluto, which is getting an anime adaptation that a lot of people are excited about, um, and 20th Century Boys, so he's a fairly well-known uh, mangaka, and Monster, the easiest way to put that is, like, it's kind of like if Walter White were a doctor and not a criminal on purpose, then that would kind of be, like, what Monster is, because it's, like, a guy that's trying to do his best kind of but also like makes a lot of really very bad decisions and gets himself involved in like these really dire situations with these really terrible people so andrew <laughs> i mean if andrew were like the greatest doctor in germany who oh, happens to be God, japanese that's a terrifying yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's really unique it's a nice like murder mystery um series it's very serious and it's got a very breaking bad tone um so I'm enjoying that, but um, yeah, you want to get into talking about the movie for the day? Uh, yes. Cool. So uh, go ahead and uh, introduce what we'll be uh, talking about today. In a far-flung post-apocalyptic future, humans live in fear of mutants, monsters, and vampires, and the only one there to protect them is a man known as the Vampire Hunter, D. D. Was that dramatic enough? I think so. You might want to tone it down. I'm just kidding. Um, and you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> right, no, that was fine. Um, so yeah, we watched the original 1985 Vampire Hunter D OVA, which I had watched about half of about a year ago, and then had to stop because I probably had to go to class and then forgot to finish it because that's just the kind of the person I am sometimes, which kind of sucks. But uh, Sully, you watched it like a week ago, two weeks ago, um, or this I, week sometime? I watched it... Uh, this week, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I got into Vampire Hunter D because of you, actually. Again, we, we, it all turns back well, to you well. getting me into things. But no, it was when you were doing uh, Anna Mondays at the Japanese Club. You showed uh, Bloodlust, yes. the movie Bloodlust, during our Halloween meeting. Mm-hmm. While my friend, Dr. Austin, who mm-hmm. is our other Austin who lives in California, that I reference frequently. He's not an actual doctor, but the, the, don't worry about it. Don't Yeah. But he was visiting, and me and him uh, were both like, oh, this was really good, and then we went with our Austin, like, this was really good, and then we got with everyone else, and this was really good. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, you know, I'm going to try to get into this, and I read a little of the source material, and then kind of, you know, got busy. It was my senior year. I had a lot of other things to do. Um, but when the Castlevania series got announced, I uh, I watched that, and I was like, I really... You know, without going too much into that, I was just disappointed by it, and I was like, I really want to watch something that gives me that feeling that I had when I played, like, the early Castlevania games, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, 
Austin mentioned Vampire Hunter D a few days ago for some reason, and I looked it up, and there's this wonderful, wonderful channel on YouTube called Old Taku TV. And while I try not to, you know, encourage questionable streaming sources, <laughs> uh, this channel has a lot of things that normally cannot be found. The company that licensed them uh, went out of business, things like that, and he had it on there, and I uh, watched it on one of my days off. And one of the things I kind of liked is I read that the director said, he was like, I want to make a movie where, you know, you come home from work and you're tired and you watch it and you feel good and you don't feel more tired. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how it made me feel because I watched it, you know, after doing, like, chores around my apartment. I mm -hmm. just lied back and I watched it and it was just such a, you know, good experience. I kind of got that feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Austin, we should do an episode on this. So. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I first time I watched Bloodlust, I, I sort of found it on my own. Like, I was just looking for, um, um, like, I had known about Vampire Hunter D through the anime Grapevine for, you know, a few years. Um, and I never really knew anything about it. And then I happened to find a really cheap copy of, um, of uh, Bloodlust at the local um, used bookstore and uh, just picked that up and thought... Hey, this has got the slip sleeve with it. I definitely got to buy this. It's only like six dollars, and um, you're worse than me. <laughs> no, yeah, and it comes with this in this real. This is the old, old release, not the current uh, discotheque um, printed version. Um, but it it came in like a red case, and I'm all about like subtle novelty packaging. Like I could care less for a full bust of Jamie Foxx's head with the Amazing Spider-Man 2 Blu-ray inside of it, which does exist, sadly. But, I mean, if you want to change the color of your Blu-ray disc uh, case, or DVD disc case um, to make it more interesting, I am all about that sort of thing. Um, no one asked me, but I'm just giving you my two cents. Anyway, um, so I picked that up, and I watched it, and I thought... Wow, this was incredible, and at that time, I was also super into um, Bloodborne. I still am really into Bloodborne, I just, have, I just haven't picked it up in a while. Um, that's probably one of my favorite games of all time at this point. Um, I absolutely love that aesthetic. Um, I've always been in love with sort of like, uh, you know, classic horror movie aesthetic, like that Victorian style. Um, Me and you are both uh, fans of Hammer Horror. Yeah, definitely. Like those original um, Christopher Lee and uh, Peter Cushing vampire movies are just, they're so cool and they're fun. Even if Christopher Lee, poor thing, only got like, what, three lines in that entire series. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's more its more about his, his presence and right. just that sort of that performance in, in the eyes and the hands and, and the voice to, um, to quote... Um, Martin Landau's character in Ed Wood, who doesn't play Christopher Lee, plays um, Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi. But anyway, um, yeah, Ed Wood is another great movie. But anyway, you're um, turning into the horror podcast of Borderline. <laughs> Oops. But um, yeah, Bloodlust. I watched and I thought this has an incredible aesthetic. The animation is awesome. It's another sort of stellar uh, film from uh, Studio Madhouse. Um, and came out around that time where, um, like, cell animation was starting to be phased out, but it was sort of at its prime in the sense that everyone that was doing it sort of knew how to do it really, really well. Um, it, it was made in 2001, which by that point, I think, you know, digital animation was sort of becoming a thing, like, um, like 2D computer animation rather than making it with cells. 
Um, it's definitely an emerging technology and totally happening at that point. But um, Bloodlust was not done like that. It was done on cells. And um, unlike the original OVA, they tried really, really hard to replicate um, Yoshitaka Amano's um, beautiful, like detailed character designs into the animation of Bloodlust. And I, I just thought that was great. The story, whatever. Um, but the aesthetics and the presentation and the action scenes were just all just great. Um, so, um, and then going back to revisit the original OVA after having watched Bloodlust, I think I kind of made a mistake. <laughs> but not a, not a terrible mistake. Because I feel like I do enjoy Bloodlust a lot more. But, um, yeah, how do you feel about that, Sully? Um... I think Bloodlust, like you said, just kind of captures a certain feeling with it. Mm -hmm. And just, for me, it's just the scenery, just the, the set design in that in that movie is so beautiful and mm -hmm. so so brilliant. Um, and that's what won me over. Like, the character designs were, were okay for me. Like, mm -hmm. um, the, they're translations of Yoshitaka Amano's art style, which is very hard to do. Yeah. But just the scenery, like, I really get into that kind of... I, to me, an atmosphere in a movie is as important of a character as the main cast. Absolutely. So that won me over. And even though it's kind of like we discussed a cliche story, both of these stories are vampire, nobleman falls in love with woman, bad things happen because of this. And D has to rescue and someone. And D has yeah. to rescue someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though the, the, the plot is a bit cliche, it's kind of an amalgam of a lot mm -hmm. of different, like, universal, hammer, gothic themes. Yeah. But... That's not really to its detriment. I, I enjoyed it because of that. It kind of felt like a greatest hits compilation of mm -hmm. just that, that gothic horror genre. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the carriage races and the uh, um, the fights with the vampires. I love the the evil countess, you know, descending from this <laughs> gorgeous staircase. It's just so... Oh gosh, yeah. It's stuff that we've seen before mm -hmm. in horror movies from across the world, but it it's something that when it's done in this art style and done, you know, with such a deft hand, mm -hmm. it's enjoyable mm -hmm. and then this one it has a rustic i mean that's the best word it has a rustic charm to it like i didn't i made fun of it while i watched it the first time i mean when i first saw count magnus lee the first words i uttered were oh, it's vampire ernest borgnine and Evil. and he looks just like ernest borgnine he really does and as much as like i was making fun of it for that i was like i still enjoyed it i'd still like if i found this for cheap online or in a used bookstore i'd still pick it up and put it on my shelf i wouldn't be ashamed to say i enjoyed the ride mm -hmm. uh, to give a little bit of background on vampire hunter d um the it was originally it's it's a series of light novels uh, written by a gentleman with a name whose name I did not write down. Hideyuki Kik uh, Kikuchi. Yeah, thank you. Um, very, very long light novel series that's been running since, oh, excuse me, since um, 1983. And the original OVA came out two years after that and is based on the original, uh, the first original uh, light novel. Um, and it basically follows the story about this... Um, vampire hunter who is living in the world, excuse me, in the um, year 12,000 something something AD, and uh, he worked, it, like, the the vampire nobility uh, caused the end of the world through some sort of nuclear disaster way, way back in the past. In the year 1999, if I recall the novels correctly. Right, um... 
so we we're, we're living in this very far 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 future um where there 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 are remnants of like very expansive modern advanced technology but most of society at least for the human beings has sort of devolved back to this sort of like primitive 1800s style of living um and then the vampire nobility sort of exist as the like the top of the food chain um even though their numbers have dwindled in the last 12,000 years and apparently they're not as active as they were once were right um and um because of this nuclear warfare like not only do the humans and the vampires exist but there's also this swath of like sort of you know hell spawn demons that exist in the world that are like mutants mutation creature things that look like something out of dark souls which i can almost guarantee you um uh not hayao miyazaki but dark souls miyazaki was more than likely probably inspired by vampire hunter d um i know he's talked a lot about how he was inspired by berserk but um yeah there's definitely a lot of touch of of his uh in those games as well especially in bloodborne um so we've got our main character. Um, his name is D, and that's really the only name we get from him. Uh, he's also known as Mr. D. Oh, that's <laughs> excuse me, Mr. D. You're absolutely right. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about D and his background, like his him as a character and uh, who he is or might be? So there is the King of the Vampires, who is their sacred ancestor, and he may or may not be. D's father. It's mm-hmm. one of those he's D's father, but we're just gonna put like that maybe in there so there's always an inconvenient out if we want to change it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't you love when writers do that? Mm, um, sure. <laughs> and he basically has been alive for about 10,000 years and just is kind of almost like a lone ranger type. He comes into town beats some vampires and then he leaves mm-hmm. and you know, that there's that shot at the very end of the movie where it's just him on his mechanical horse overlooking a cliff and it's very John Wayne so you know it it, it has a lot of the western feel to this story too. Even the hat. Even the hat you know he has kind of like a combination of you know a Gene Autry Wicked Witch of the West hat you know somewhere (laughs) in the middle there. I was thinking more Hugh Jackman Van Helsing but you know we're different people. (laughs) Yeah some of us have better tastes in movies. I, yeah. <laughs> but D, we don't get a lot of backstory about him, much like his uh, left hand, or as the left hand is known, uh, D's left hand, <laughs> who is a face in his left hand, who's apparently some sort of parasitic entity that has powers kind of convenient to the plot. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also gives new meaning to talk to the hand, which D literally has to have conversations with his hand. He's like the devil on D's shoulder, kind of. Or like Migi in Parasite. Yeah, a little bit. Or a Thing lot. from the Adams family in that one scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there there's never there there is if you if you watch either Bloodlust or the original nineteen eighty five movie, um, either of which you could do sort of on their own because they're very standalone stories, um, they never really give you any explanation as to where the left hand came from, how D came to be, you know sort of sharing a body with this strange parasite. Um, so if you feel lost, like, join the club, because apparently no one knows exactly where the left hand came from, so just don't even sweat it and, and move on. Um, one thing that I like that um, that both this film and Bloodlust did was sort of, they they give you 
just enough to get by with and then they leave you with a lot of ambiguity especially in the world building like they set up the way that the world works they say that there was this nuclear fallout and then vampires have always existed but now they're sort of like the kings of the world or whatever it is that there is left of the world uh, where humans and vampires and these mutants exist in this you know far future uh, post-apocalypse but has this like cool technology too um like the big space castle in uh bloodlust which i thought was really rad yeah they, they take back off to the galaxy of transylvania that way it, that's what they called it right that's from rocky horror oh, that was mind. a joke okay well i thought maybe maybe there's never mind it, uh, crossover we never know <laughs> who knows um well they were going into space for they were there's apparently some sort of like planet where vampires are like you know free to do vampire things even though they're kind of free to do vampire mm. things on earth too since they're at the top of the food chain but, but a little bit less free because d is there yeah and because you know their human vampire mm. love can never be reconciled so just, you know instead of biting her or making her a vampire just take off into space right <laughs> and i kind of like that um the vampire hunter d movies present this world where they don't try and over-explain everything. They just try and show you the way that the world works through visuals and through the interactions between the characters and each other and the characters and their adversaries. So I kind of like that, the sort of ambiguity of it. But sometimes it's a little silly in execution, like that one scene in the... Um, in the 1985 one where D just sort of like is walking towards his destination and happens to walk through this tunnel in which there is a whole bunch of absurdly colored mutants in there. Exactly. And he just like walks his straight through and like slices a few of them open and then just pops out the other side and he's like totally fine. And it's like, it's almost comedic. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things that probably works a little better in prose than it does in film language. And that's one of the things I'm worried about is right now, there's going to be someone who's, like, a huge fan of Vampire Hunter D who's, like, read, like, the entire expanse of the novels, and it's just like, you idiots. Like, if you read <laughs> novel 3.15, chapter 3, verse 9, you would know. <laughs> You're and, right. So, uh, pardon our ignorance as our familiarity with Vampire Hunter D uh, extends to our brief research and watching the two movies. So, we apologize for any hardcore fans out there, but, um... One day we hope to be uh, in your position of being hardcore fans, but forgive us in the meantime, please. Um, but um, D, I really like as a character, not because he get he he doesn't get a whole lot of characterization in the traditional sense, but he gets enough to tell you that he is, you know, a man with obvious weaknesses, obvious shortcomings, but you know he's. He has his set of morals, he has his worldview, and he sticks to it, and sticks to it with compassion. And I really like characters like that. He reminds me a lot of Guts in that way. Um, He's also the product of some vampire straying loins. Exactly, and that is a incredible line. <laughs> there are a few incredible lines. Uh, we watched the new Sentai Filmworks dub, <laughs> and uh, we originally thought we were watching the the original uh, streamlined dub, but we mm. were incorrect. And I, I had to think in my head, it's like, well, it was okay. I thought it was pretty good for an early dub by Streamline. And then when I found out it was Sentai, I was like, I don't know how to rate this anymore because <laughs> some of the lines are just really clunky or yeah. odd or, you know, I think I am in the school of thought that translation should be 
very seamless and smooth, and if there's something that just cannot be explained easily, it's best to go with the closest approximation to get the story feeling along. Yeah, or just come up with whatever the cultural equivalent of whatever idea you're trying to, you know, convey is. Like a dun peel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, um, what, what's the word you So, to, the word is... Transliteration? It, yeah, oh, yeah, the word is dumb fear. Like, you know, dumb fear. And yeah. it's, a, it's a word from the Balkans. Literally, it means, like, teeth sinking or teeth drinking or something like that. D-A-P-H-I-I-M-R? Dumb fear or something like it that? It has a bunch of different yeah. spellings. Mm-hmm. You know, Eastern European words can be anglicized in various ways. Anglicized, yeah. is that... I don't know. But the point is, is basically when Spelled. They, Yes. <laughs> when they when they translated that into Japanese, you know, they with the gene- the Japanese phonetic system it came off as like dangpidu. Mm-hmm. And then I guess because they didn't understand how to, you know, turn that back into English, they took dangpidu for damfear and made it dunpeel. <laughs> and But that is exclusive to bloodlust. Blood they use dunfear here. Yeah. So in in this one it's a lot less weird. And that term um means like Half vampire, half human. Yeah, at least that's the way that they use it within the context of Vampire Hunter D. That that is the traditional like in vampire lore. That's how it goes. Is it's the mm-hmm. child of a vampire and a human. Right, but in Vampire Hunter D, they don't seem to. There's like no other defining characteristic to that to a dumb fear other than being, you right. know, you know, a, a half and half, um, half milk, half cream. <laughs> As I say, that sounds weirdly prejudiced against our like half vampire <laughs> friends. So like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Is my culturally <laughs> ignorance showing? But um, um, the female protagonist. Uh, how did you How did you feel about her? Just in general, like reactions about her as a character, because um, she's like our secondary protagonist. She, she kind of does feel like a plot device in a lot mm-hmm. of places. Um, we meet her first when she's attacked by the count, mm-hmm. and then we see her like immediately after the you know title card that. She's met up with D, and honestly, like, I really didn't care about her that much. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I really try to, like, attach to female characters because I'm always, like, I want a strong female character with a consistent story arc who's not a plot device. Mm-hmm. I look for that in a movie, and I try to, like, turn my brain onto that. And with her, it was really just kind of hard. I just was, like... She's there, she's the victim. Every time she tries to take any sort of action, it's usually, oh, D, and he goes, no, don't do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then she gets attacked, and she's just kind of, she doesn't really have, like, an action scene. She shoots at some things a few times, but other than that, she doesn't really do much. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I've seen way worse female characters than her, um, but, I mean, she definitely doesn't bring a whole lot to the to the film, Sadly, um, she, she could have been much better, um, but I mean, she was, I mean, I guess perfectly acceptable. I mean, five out of ten, maybe. She, she's there. I wasn't, like, offended, but I wasn't really engaged in her character, Mm -hmm. and, uh, as a side note, her Japanese voice actress, who we did not hear as we watched the Sentai dub, Mm -hmm. is Mishi Tomizawa, a.k.a. Sailor Mars's, uh, 
voice actress who also can speak perfect English. Oh, really? And if you are ever in my home around Christmas, you know I have both Sailor Moon Christmas CDs where she sings in English and I play them on repeat 24-7. <laughs> and her original English voice actress for the Streamline dub, which I looked up because I thought that's what we were listening to, mm-hmm. is Barbara Goodson, who is known as the voice of Rita Repulsa. <laughs> it's funny how that works out. <laughs> um... There were a lot of Power Rangers actors mm-hmm. in the Streamline dub, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about because I, only like five minutes before this, did any research on the dub we listened to. <laughs> um, I think you put it really well, like, and I think this kind of can apply to the movie in general. It's, it's, um, the plot is not the best, but never do I ever feel like it's, like, being offensively bad. Like... There are a few scattered fan service moments. Um, there's one scene where the Doris gets like her shirt ripped off, but it's like none of it is ever done in sort of a I don't know. It's it's not like what we see today. No, it's not, and it's definitely not the most egregious examples of things like even older anime. Um, like, other than, like, where she gets her shirt ripped off in that one scene, which is a more, like, more violent scene, even though that's basically all that, that happens in that scene, like, the, the rest of the, the nudity is more like, it's more like Rumiko Takahashi nudity. It's right. just, like, You incidental. even said she looked like a Rumiko Takahashi character when yeah. you first saw her. Yeah, I completely Like one that agreed. got thrown away, as you put it. <laughs> yeah, it's like she she looks like a character that Rumiko Takahashi drew at like 3 a.m. without any inspiration and just decided like, this will not work for Inuyasha, nor Ranma, nor anything else, so I will put that in the bin. <laughs> well, we should note with those character designs that the originals were done by, um, by Amano, but mm-hmm. then uh, the director, uh, Toyo Ashida, he was also the character designer, and he's actually more known as a character designer than uh, a director. He mm-hmm. changed them all, mm-hmm. and I looked up the original designs, and in it she looks kind of more like a badass Jennifer Connelly type, and in here oh. she looks like blonde Dorothy. <laughs> she, she really she does with the, with the pigtails and everything. That or like she's going to be on Little House on the Prairie, which this yeah. kind of is because it's like kind of Europe, kind of America, mm-hmm. kind of future, kind of like there's no real defining setting right it's it's kind of like pirates of the caribbean it's just like you know it's in a time but every nothing really matches um but um it yeah in terms of the the general plot of the film it's it's i mean it's a vampire story and a very sort of classical one at that um the action is not particularly... I mean, it's it's violent, but it's not, like, Helsing violent. Um, and it's it's just kind of like a general, fun, you know, dark fantasy action movie that doesn't really require much of the viewer in terms of, like, emotional investment nor attention, really. Um, I mean, you were on your phone through half of it. Well, yeah, but I was paying attention. And I mean, I, got I know. the gist of it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I still, I still enjoyed it. It, it's, it. I, I wouldn't call it one of my favorite films that I ever saw, but I mean, it, it's, it's perfectly enjoyable. This movie came out in nineteen eighty five. Angel's Egg came out in nineteen eighty five. There mm-hmm. is one I would pick over this one. Yeah, and it's Angel's Egg. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're wanting to put on a, sh- a movie in the background to watch 
just to have it on. If you were having a Halloween party and all the people there were all like anime fans, mm-hmm. I would put this on. Definitely, and I would not put Bloodlust on because that one is more of a you need to watch piece. that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You want to sit down and focus on Bloodlust and really take it in, um, especially visually. Um, and one thing I enjoyed about um, this one that I know that they probably did not get from the original source material is that I thought the the environment told the story really well, like I was saying earlier. Like, there were a couple of very, like, impressionistic um, scenes that I liked. They they, repli- they repeatedly showed that icon, that, that not icon, but that... that scene of the um of the count's castle against the moon and that's just a wonderful silhouette um and then towards the ending they have that sort of pseudo time lapse montage of like the sky and um sort of after the battle is finished this sort of uh, musical piece where you just see the sky just going through changes and i thought this is this is really pretty this is very well done i said it looked like vaporwave (laughs) exactly and I'm, i'm a i'm a sucker for that sort of stuff, but, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that, and there were, you know, multiple moments in the film that made me think, like, oh, this is not just trying to be a, like, a dumb action movie, it's trying to have a little bit of, sort of, um, you know, feeling in there, too. And, uh, I think for me, like I said, the rustic feeling, and also, I told you when we were watching, it's like, the, the art style makes me think of, like, old Famicom cartridges. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the art on old Japanese Nintendo games, it has that sort of 80s anime style that mm-hmm. I just find incredibly endearing. Um, there's actually a Japanese storybook artist named Shugo Harada, who his art style looks a lot like that too, and that kind of gave me that feeling like, you know, what if, you know, this was like a Nintendo game? That's what it kind of felt like mm-hmm. is, you know, I guess because I watched this after seeing that terrible a- uh, adaptation of Castlevania, I was like... <laughs> This makes me think of a video game. You would go and fight the Tunnel of Mutants. You would fight Ray, the leader of the mutants. You would fight, you know, Larmica and then fight the Count. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of has that sort of... I don't want to say childish, because that makes it sound you know, like I'm saying it's stupid, but this sort of, like, innocent, whimsical, you know... Simplicity? Simplicity. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like... I feel like I could tell a child a version of this story if I toned down a few of the parts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, once upon a time, there was a girl who got bit by a vampire, mm-hmm. and she met a man on a horse who she said, can you save me? It's yeah. almost like a weird horror version of a th- fairy tale. Yeah, definitely. And and like I said, it, it does not ask its audience to carry a lot of its baggage. And I think that makes it a pretty, pretty easy watch. Um, I think it's almost like this one is you watch it just for a breezy feeling and yeah. then bloodlust is where you want to have the feeling and mm. the thought like i had feelings when i finished watching bloodlust it, it's it, very visceral it's visceral and it left me kind of inspired like it kind of rekindled i mean it was also halloween when we watched it but mm-hmm. rekindled that kind of love of you know classic gothic horror yes. it made me it kind of was like like i said it was like a greatest hits album and you just are like i want to go listen to all of it now mm-hmm, definitely um so while you're on the topic of castlevania and undoubtedly uh vampire hunter d is going to come up with any conversation or discussion about um castle the new netflix castlevania so did you want to say your piece about that oh must i <laughs> yeah go go for it go for okay. it because i'm i'm sure that um 
the uh, listeners will be interested. Okay, much like we have said that our knowledge of Vampire Hunter D comes from the two movies and the research we've done, I like the Castlevania games, but I only played the ones on the NES, the Super Nintendo, and the Sega Genesis. Those were the ones that I played and had experience with. Mm -hmm. So anything beyond that... I don't know as much. We can only work out of our frame of reference. Right, but, like, even still, me being in, like, this kind of horror mood lately, I was like, I'm gonna watch it, and, you know, Borderline needs some articles for our website. Plug for the website, Borderline, on WordPress. And, <laughs> uh, so I said, I will watch this, and I'll write the review. And so I sat down on my day off, and I got up in the morning, and I pulled up my laptop, and I sat down, and... So, Castlevania was certainly something that passed before my eyes and took up 88 minutes of my life. I can say that was going for it. Uh, <laughs> I can't say much. It, 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 it felt like there's only four episodes, each of them at like the 22-minute mark, and they're all really disappointing. It's The story beats don't really hit anything. Like The episodes, I kind of felt like I... I didn't feel like I went through a journey in an episode. Like, episodes should accumulate into a whole plot. The The end of the season, the quote-unquote cliffhanger, is more like the first story beat of a season. And if you've played the games, it's like you're watching an 88-minute version of the animatic before the start of the game. Because it is based off of the... Is it the third game? It's the one with Trevor, Sifa, and Alucard. Um, which I cannot remember the title of, and I'm too lazy to look up right now. <laughs> um, it, it was just, Trevor was unpleasant to spend time with. The gore scenes didn't really hit, like, emotional points. Like, they felt like what a 13-year-old writing a horror story would put into his story. Like, I'm gonna put in monsters and they eat a baby. That's how badass my story's gonna be. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. But that's what it felt like. I'm like, Warren Ellis, do you have some issues with the Catholic Church that you need to see a therapist for? Because the Catholic Church, you know, when you have villains who are based in religion, if they're in a religion that's one kind of like a real-world religion, even though this is like TV Catholicism or whatever, you're like, they have to have this veneer of being okay, and this knockoff Claude Frollo villain doesn't really have that. Yeah, you you've got to have the you've got to have the cell. The, the the priests in this show, in which there are no nuns, there are no female religious representatives in this show. The the priests are basically like the mafia. <laughs> like they strut down the streets with daggers, and like they all look like the thugs a Batman villain would hire. <laughs> but in priests, like the new villain Batman faces in the sixties show is the bishop and his henchmen all wear priest costumes. That's what they're like. Oh, and so I'm like, the people like these guys who have the scars and the bald heads and the beards and who talk like street toughs? I'm just imagining you go into a confession and it's like, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. Well, you know what to give me. <laughs> like, it was just, it was terrible. It, it was a miserable, like, experience to watch that show. And, like, I was like, it's funny. I, when I started it, I put it in my list because I'm like, I'm probably going to want to revisit this. I took it out of my list, like, <laughs> as soon as the last episode was over, because I'm like, I, I don't want to go through this again. So, are you saying that either Vampire Hunter D film would be a better Castlevania than Netflix's Castlevania? 
I think the soundless, non-voice-acted pencil tests for the 85 movie would be more entertaining than the Castlevania Netflix series. Alright, well you heard it here, folks. Sully's definite review and thoughts on Castlevania. And if you disagree, you too can put me on the spike. <laughs> oh dear. Impale um, joke. <laughs> um, let's see, any particular- let me check my notes real quick to see what I've got here. That's so professional. Yeah. I can point out that uh, the voice actor in Japanese for Ray, the leader of the mutants, uh, his, he uh, was actually in a band. Mm -hmm. So he is uh, Kazuyuki Sogabe. I'm terrible with Japanese names. I'm sorry. I try to pronounce them in the most proper professional way. But if you were saddled with this accent from birth, you can't. Um, and he was in a band called Slapstick with uh, Toru Furuyua. I know I mispronounced that. That's I'm all right. so sorry. He is Tuxedo Mask's uh, Japanese voice actor. And uh, Toshio Furukawa, who is Atoru in Yusei Yatsura. That thing. Mm -hmm. I'm very terrible with the U's. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I know Jesse actually said, you had such great Japanese pronunciation. I'm like, yeah, if I've practiced it. <laughs> um, and he was also Piccolo in Dragon Ball. Dang. So uh, imagine uh, the leader of the mutants, Ray, Tuxedo Mask... And Piccolo had a guitar band in the <laughs> 70s. Apparently they found it in, like, 77, and I think that's weirdly adorable. That sounds like one of my 12-year-old uh, fever dreams. I was something. about to say fanfics. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I was the lead singer. <laughs> and Piccolo was there, and it was so cool. Um, so, um, would you recommend Vampire Hunter D 1985? I would say I recommend it, but I, you need to know what you're getting into. If mm -hmm. you're going into this expecting, like, it's of its time, it had a limited budget. It had a theatrical run, but it still had a limited budget. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's if you want to watch just something around Halloween, or you just want to watch, like, a, not, I don't even want to say cheesy. If you want to watch a simple horror movie, then watch it and yeah. give it a shot. And, you know, maybe you'll enjoy it the same way we did in this sort of, like, idealistic look at it yeah i would uh, completely agree with that assessment entirely um i, I... think too oh i'm sorry I oh go ahead it. go ahead i think thought. too the uh the characters are kind of what make it mm -hmm. i mean even though doris is weak i think i my favorite was ray who kind of looks like an emaciated david bowie mm -hmm. and i think the count is funny in the scenes like when the the dagger goes to his eyeball and he just nonchalantly rips it out his <laughs> eye sucks itself back into the socket yeah um larmica who is the daughter of the uh of the count he's like oh i forgot to mention you're a, you're a dumb fear too you're you're half human and she just sort of has this like I'm a failed man, damn it moment. <laughs> <laughs> she just sort of goes through, and then it's like, she's kind of good now, because she doesn't like her dad anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it's that that makes it funny, mm -hmm. or entertaining, because, you know, they're not completely well-rounded characters, but they're great archetypes. Yeah, you yeah. know, he is, he's basically Dracula, but not Dracula. Mm -hmm. He's the sacred ancestor. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think D has a lot of qualities about him that are shared with other, um, protagonists that are well liked like he reminds me sort of a combination between uh like guts from berserk that i said earlier um and uh, like jotaro kujo from jojo's bizarre adventure um just sort of that quintessential 80s protagonist um who's a tough guy like a silent type tough guy but he's he has his weaknesses and you know he has 
sort of his moral compass that, you know, sort of guides his decisions. And I think that, you know, any character, especially really strong characters, are made better in their weakness. And D definitely is a character that has that, so I really like him. He's probably my favorite character. You know, when I was watching it, I I, I kind of got like an animated series Batman vibe from him. Like yeah, I could yeah. see like Kevin Conroy's voice coming out of him, even that would though work he really well. Yeah, I mean that's when I when he before he spoke, I was like, any minute now, Kevin Conroy's voice is gonna come out of this character, even though he kind of looks like Reeve Carney. Um, <laughs> but I made the joke that he kind like if he took his hat off, he'd kind of look like a. Like an Edward Scissorhands, Captain Harlock baby. He, he would. Like, I, I, I think that some of the animators on this movie worked on the series for Harlock, so Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Doris, I think, is the weakest character, which is kind of sad mm-hmm. because... Wait, she, she can't be weaker than, than Dan. <laughs> okay, so, okay, the entire Lang family is, yeah. is, is the dead weight in this story, which is kind of sad since they're the catalyst. You kind of want the, 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 the people who are responsible for your story's trajectory to have at least a little emotional depth. Which, yeah. which Dan's not allowed to, because remember, he has to keep it bottled up and be a man. It's exactly, but it's okay to cry, as he has said. <laughs> it's okay, but it's not okay. Right. He's um, basically just like, it's okay to cry, but just don't do it in front of your sister. And that's basically what Dee said, which is kind of funny. But I mean, I mean, I think, I don't know, I, I like I like Doris. She's like perfectly fine. She's like a 6 out of 10. Or even when she says, 10. I'll bite my tongue off and kill myself. That was funny. I, I thought that was, I mean... <laughs> I think the joke that made me laugh laugh the most, yeah. other than the the eyeball and the hand who looks like the Dio face. Oh my gosh! Yes. Um, was when she's like looking longingly out the window, and the doctor, who is another character, who's like a very minor character in the story, is like, oh. You know, do you feel something for D? Oh my god, you do love him. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yes, that was funny. <laughs> he just literally goes. Oh my god, you do love him. Like it's like like the gay best friend is like, "Oh, honey." <laughs> oh my gosh. So I was reading the cast list for it and I thought that his the character was Dr. Ferrigno, yeah. like Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> <laughs> from the original Incredible Hulk, and I'm just Did like... Did he get a terrible disease? Oh, I shouldn't joke about that. Oh, uh, no. But um, then I read it wrong, and it's like... Um, it's Ferragamo? Fer- it's something like that. Yeah, That's it a wasn't... fashion brand. <laughs> it was something that wasn't Ferrigno, and I felt like an idiot. But, um, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of, of good beats in this film that make it, you know, worth checking out if, you, if you're interested. Um, it's definitely not a, not a must-watch, but if you find yourself in a situation where you can watch this film, you, you might get something out of it if you enjoy sort of things like that. Um, other alternate recommendations, I would say, would definitely be, um, of course, Bloodlust, which is a, a film that's very different in tone, but, you know, more so worth watching, more of a really just good solid film in in terms of just the um the um pantheon of good anime films um it has a lot of tonal similarities to um phantom blood the first story arc in jojo's bizarre adventure where it's sort of like silly world where there are vampires and the main character has to fight them and it's you know horror inspired but it's not like you know, particularly gory or graphic or scary or anything like that. It's just very classical horror, so it's 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 very similar to uh, Phantom Blood in that way. Um, and if you're looking for something that will not let you have a good time but is a similar aesthetic, definitely check out uh, Berserk. Um, 
not the um, um unless you're you know really really <laughs> desperate I suppose or have low standards um, I would say just stick to the uh, the Golden Age trilogy films because you will probably be disappointed with the 2016 and 2017 anime adaptations. So uh, just throwing that out there if you were not aware of that already. Um, so do you have any final thoughts, Sully? Um, if I could say some recommendations I have, I yeah, would say, uh, like I mentioned before, another movie that came out in the same year was Angel's Egg, which is not a horror movie. Uh, it's it's more of a surreal movie. Uh, there's very little dialogue. Uh, it does have some sort of like unsettling images, not horror, but just that sort of, you know, uncanny feeling. And I I very love, ethereal. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful piece of just animation in general, not just anime. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say uh, a little horror series that's really close to my heart, and I know Tori's too, is uh, Yami Shibai. Which is uh, the uh, Darkness Theater, which was, is on Crunchyroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, all three seasons, I think they're up to three, and they're little five-minute Japanese horror stories. I think they're up to five, magic. actually, now. Really? Yeah. I'll have to yeah. check them out. And I know there's one series that's coming on right now that's focused more mm-hmm. on cryptids, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like... Yeah, that one ended, and then Yami Shibai started up again this season. Okay, yeah. I'll have to watch that then, mm-hmm. because I know that one about the cryptids was like it had like one or two that were okay. Mm-hmm. Once I got to... The natives are eating people, shrinking people down and eating them to fight the germs inside them, and that's how they live forever. That was the point I was like, who wrote this? What were they on? Modern medicine is just so fascinating. (laughs) Uh, Final thoughts, give it a shot. I really love this aesthetic of anime, this really kind of older, simpler, more playful in a way. I'd say this movie's playful. Yeah, fair enough. So I, if you like that, and if you want something that's a little more, I just keep thinking Halloween. It's something that you put on at Halloween, because it's not too scary, but it's not goofy and kitty. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, well, that's been our show, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, make sure to please uh, follow us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred um, podcast streaming service is and please give us a star rating or a comment or a like Uh, we would always love to hear from you guys and we'd really appreciate the feedback and um, we hope to see some of you guys up at ARC uh, later later this month Um, we're super excited to be there and um, hope to meet some folks up there and uh, do some cool panels and um, we'll be recording a couple of you know on-site podcasts up there and um, yeah you want to you want to say anything else, Holly? Uh, don't forget to visit us at borderlinepanels.wordpress.com where you can see posts from all the Borderline members on things that we're watching, our opinions on the industry, or just uh, otaku news in general. Yep. Andrew's going to kill me for using that word. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We'll have that discourse on uh, on the on the podcast. <laughs> Hashtag the discourse. Right. <laughs> but um, also follow us on Tumblr. Um, we've been using our Tumblr pretty frequently lately. At least I have, and Andrew has been uh, jumping on there a couple times per day, um, reblogging some some cool stuff. So um, yeah, feel free to give us a follow on there. Uh, BorderlinePanels.tumblr.com. And um, we hope to see you guys again very soon. Thanks for listening.